Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, you're listening to a new episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, where this week we're reviewing Annette, plus covering off all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. We do, Tim. And this week we're talking about Annette, which follows the relationship of Henry and Anne. One is a provocative stand-up comedian, the other a world-famous soprano singer. In the spotlight, they are the perfect glamorous couple, but their lives take an unexpected turn when their mysterious and gifted daughter, Annette, is born. Annette is directed by Leoz Carax, who won the Best Director Award at Cannes for Annette, with a screenplay by brothers Ron and Russell Mayle, aka the band Sparks. Annette stars Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard and Simon Helberg. Now, there's so much to cover off here. There's so much to take in. (laughs) There is so much. It's almost hard to figure out where to begin. So I'm just going to start with like a blanket statement to throw in a lot of themes and then we can kind of just go from there, I reckon. Well, actually, I think before we jump into that, you have to sort of know who the creatives behind it are. So maybe we explain that brothers Ron and Russell Mayle are also known as Sparks, as we said, and that's an art pop band whose story was recently featured in a documentary from Edgar Wright called The Sparks Brothers. Did you catch that? No, I didn't. No. They're an unusual and artistic pair of creatives and they're described often as the biggest band that you've never heard of. Mm. Well, I have a confession to make. Mm. I hadn't actually heard of The Sparks Brothers. So that statement is true for me anyway. So please continue. Well, I found Annette to be an incredibly powerful and dark story it played in a lot of themes starting with fame ego it covered marriage death new life and then of course exploitation it really takes you on quite a journey doesn't Mm, it and that journey begins with a monologue borrowed from Stephen Sondheim instructing the audience not to breathe fart or laugh (laughs) and that kind of sets the tone right off the bat doesn't it you know 
then the cast and creatives burst from this recording studio and strut through the LA streets singing, can we start, can we start, can we start? I promised myself I wouldn't sing and there you go, I did it. <laughs> and it's this really ambitious one-take shot that's actually really mm. impressive. Did you like that? Oh, I love uh, a one-take shot, a long one-take shot that's really ambitious and layered and technical and there would have been a lot of, you know, uh, rehearsal and stuff. I really get a kick out of filmmakers that take that plunge Mm. and that risk. And I think that how this film opened, I found very unexpected. And boy, oh boy, is that the headline that I think carries Mm. you through this film. It, It just was so unexpected. I don't know. Can you build on that? It's really hard to explain. That's exactly what I have written down as well. Unexpected. You don't know what to expect, but it's damn catchy. Yes. Like the opening is really catchy and it just sets that tone for what's to come. And the tone is who knows what's to come. Just buckle (laughs) in and enjoy the ride. Absolutely. And I think paired with what they did visually in that opening number, you know, you had the flickering of images that was paired like with the sounds of connecting instruments to their amps or tuning mm. them. And it positioned you as the audience that this film was going to be incredibly visceral, mm. that you were going to feel uh, everything that was presented to you visually and partnered with the music. In terms of the story, like the very foundation of it, it covers the flourish of this relationship between Henry and Anne. You know, they're two polar opposites. And then it covers the birth of their daughter and then the demise of that relationship. Mm. But then it goes on to be about something completely different. Like it it takes a complete left turn and you're like, what am I watching now? I mean, here we go. Here's that word again. It really takes an unexpected turn. Mm. And I found that when it did that, the movie became more interesting than I thought it was going to be. The only thing I would say is that as much as I embraced that unexpected turn, Mm. it was quite far into this film. Mm. You know, this movie is, what, two hours 20? It's long. Can I say too long? Way too long. Mm. We mentioned earlier that Henry is a stand-up comedian. We got his stand-up show in full almost twice. Oh, my God. Which I think was so unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It was quite confronting because it almost felt like it never ended. And you revisited his Mm. comedy sets like more than once. And I thought, why are we going back here? But I did appreciate that it was very important to the progression and insight into his character and Mm. ultimately what he was going through at the time, the changes to his relationship, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But it just didn't need to be that long, I think. (laughs) There's two things going on here, uh, working in tandem with each other, you know, immersing the audience really fully with all this music and this really visceral experience, as you said. And at the other hand, keeping them at arm's length by isolating them and really making them aware that you're watching a show. And I found the push and pull of that really kind of took me out of it and then brought me into it and took me out of it and I just really didn't know what was going on. Yes, it was playing on a lot of like, okay, is he singing and are they are just like his audience watching his comedy set, are they passive viewers? But no, then they participate. They sing back or respond back Mm. and the camera goes to them as the audience. And like, okay, so like who's watching? Is it me? Am I part of this? Like it was really intense, Mm. I think, at times. The words that keep coming to mind when I think about how to encapsulate Annette is rock opera. Mm. I keep coming back to this operatic sense that if you were watching an operatic performance on stage, it's very much like that. They're telling this tragic story that's full of love and ups and downs and melodrama and it just, you know, then there's a twist and then there's, it's really out there and that's what 
operas are. Definitely. It lent on all those tropes of uh, an operatic. And, you know, when we start talking about the set design and the stylistic Mm. choices and obviously where the narrative ends up, it's heavily influenced by that. And another element that kind of really, I don't know, gave it a unique flavour was that it lent into satire from time to time. And I think that how they achieved that really well was the showbiz news segments that they Mm. kept updating you about their personal lives their triumphs, their pitfalls of these two artists, these two celebrities in Anne and Henry. And it gave that kind of celebrity lay to the film that was only built upon, right, as the film progressed, that whole spectacle about who they are in their lives and what what was involved. That's that really eclectic style coming into play again. You know, you have those e-Hollywood sound bites. Then it also takes inspiration from Stephen Sondheim musicals and then it's also mixed with this golden era of Hollywood in a, you know the second act when they go on this boat trip it, you get that really sweeping sound stage with the artificial moonlight and the um, the way they're dancing around the around the boat it's really fascinating yeah I think just building on that I felt that the film really evolved in its set design and stylistic choices mm. you were kind of maybe this could be wrong but I felt like it was grounded in a little bit more reality at the beginning and then it went to more fantastical places Mm. and set pieces, you know. Some of them were quite wonderful. Mm. There was a lot of wonderment about some of these Mm. and I found that a really interesting exploration in how the look of the film changed as as the story did. I would say dreamlike. It became more dreamlike as it went on. You know, the set design was lovely, had this great colour palette to it that was primary blues and reds and then, you know, secondary greens. It's really earthy and deep colours. And then the set design, as I said, felt really romantic with the artificial moonlight shining down on the characters a lot of the time. It just felt very dreamy, very old world Hollywood in places. I think you've used a really good word there in romantic and you certainly, certainly, my goodness, feel that with Henry and Anne's relationship, especially Mm. in the front half of the film and partnered with those beautiful aesthetics, those blues. Oh, my gosh, the blues. Mm. I just couldn't get enough of of those blue hues. I think the green was my favourite. Okay, yeah. (laughs) And I I guess green comes into the storm sequence, right, on the yacht. The, The green really came to the surface there. And for you listening, that's used as like the poster design for the film. Mm. It's really quite a breathtaking set piece. And although it was made for cinema, I felt like that in that set piece specifically that they were really playing into the opera, you know, those, you know, big grand set pieces, Mm. you know, the front of the boat sort of thing with, you know, things happening around storms and movement and waves. And I felt like I was on, they were on stage almost. You can almost imagine someone just off stage banging that thunder card. Yeah. Like the, the wobble board. Yes. That's what it's called. The wobble board. More thunder, more thunder. Can we talk about the music? Because obviously that is a huge part of this film. It's a musical, but I would say not in the traditional sense. As we've mentioned, it's Mm. more operatic tragedy without opera music. But it's the same sensibilities. Yes. And you mentioned that it's kind of like this rock opera. Mm. What the Sparks Brothers have done here is like curated and modernised opera, I suppose. But Interestingly, I don't know if you know this, but it was originally intended to be a Sparks studio album, which ultimately became a film when meeting Mm. with the director at Cannes, you know, back in 2013. So they had this album and he listened to it 
And then here we are with this musical, this insane film. I did know it had been in the works for over a decade. It's been a long time trying to be made. Well, apparently Adam Driver was first approached to star in it seven years ago. So mm. like he and he served as a producer as well. So, it, yeah, been in development hell, wow. I think. <laughs> did you think the tunes were catchy? They're very Sparks Brothers. The lyrics are kind of out there and have a bit of a Shakespeare sensibility to them. Mm. I had the refrain of when they're falling in love stuck in my head for weeks. You know, that we love each other so much, I don't want to sing it. (laughs) Well, you watched it before me, right? Yeah. And you kind of gave me the heads up on that. And I was like, oh, my God, it's happening to me too. But again, you know how we talked earlier about moments that went on for a really long time, maybe too long. That Mm. song, just I didn't think it was ever going to end. You felt more like that because the lyrics were very minimal. Like that's all they said. Yeah. They only said like one line and then threw in a few and then went back to the chorus. It's a real bloody earworm though. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) In terms of the music, how I reacted to it Mm. was obviously – the style of this is not for everyone. Like that yeah. is that much is clear. And it's not particularly melodic. They do lean into more melodic sort of mm. tones and tunes later, but it is more kind of that repetitive notion of describing actions or feelings in like that sing talk mm. uh, style. And at times, did you feel it was just a little bit frustrating or kind of can we just move on from repeating that, please? Yeah, again, that ties into it going on a bit long. Um, but I think... Mm. The main thing about the music here is it's not so much about the tunes and the melody as it is about the sharp lyrics yes, and the theatrical sentiments that are woven in. And that's, again, where it comes back to being very much like an opera. But something that you would never see on an opera stage was a song sung through the act of Cunnilingus. <laughs> yes, which was We Love Each Other So Much. And they were expressing that love. Very, yes, very intimately expressing that. Yeah. Did you know that they sang live on set? So it wasn't like a pre-recorded yeah. music that they would play, press play on set and they'd have to mime. You know, that was really challenging technically, isn't it, to achieve that? Yeah, absolutely. And Marion and Adam have a lovely harmony with each other, I noticed, both musically and chemistry-wise. I thought they were fantastic together. And, yeah, it's worth noting that they were required to sing live, which must have been so nerve-wracking. And I did read that Marion was more nervous about it than Adam. Adam is quite a good singer. Hmm. Yeah. He's such a – oh, my gosh, he's got such a big physical presence, mm. doesn't he? And his voice is naturally very deep. And here he's just – wow, his presence is extraordinary and his voice, you know, plays into that physicality mm. that he brings. Did you think that Marion was a little underutilised in terms of a character? Yes, without giving too much away, I think there's a clear thing that happens in this movie where, you know, she is then underutilised. I could watch her forever. Mm. She's got such a grace to her. How did you think she was underutilised, Lee? Just that the character felt a little sidelined to um, Adam's Henry. I mean, Henry is such an unlikable, self-centred, insecure, abusive Mm. character The couple are often referred to in the film as Beauty and the Bastard. Right, yeah. But their performances are spot on. I just felt that Marion was maybe eclipsed a little by Henry. Um, Maybe that was the point, that she was a little bit more intimidated by him, like character-wise, I mean, not actor-wise, but Mm. I'm not sure. I just felt that she could have been front and centre a little bit more. Yeah, I agree. I think it's more of a... A, a loss that like her character kind of does get sidelined. But I guess where the story progressed is that it was definitely Henry's story 
you know, his series of events that gets catapulted into all sorts of arenas. Mm. Which is very dark too because he is not a likeable character. Super dark. And he doesn't really Mm. go on any kind of character arc. You know, he doesn't grow and learn. Especially without giving anything away. I don't know how you felt, but the the final number Mm. in this film, the final song, I was in absolute awe over. Mm. Technically, it was astounding and Mm. so emotional, but it really packed a heavy punch, right? Just leading into, you know, Adam's character. Yeah, absolutely. And we can talk a little bit about that, I guess, in terms of the actress who joins Adam Driver for that last Mm. song, Devon McDowell gorgeous little actress who is so incredibly talented. I was astounded by the two of them singing this duet. You have to see it, guys. Like I would see this movie just for that scene, but it's at the very end of a two-hour and 20-minute long movie. It was such a gift that the film ended with that experience. But, yeah, you have to go through a lot to get there. But, you know, it's not too much of a labour, but it is certainly a great payoff at the end for sure. Let's talk about the puppet in the room, which I don't Mm -hmm. think is a spoiler. I think there's been some stuff out there about this. But baby Annette is not played by a CGI baby or a real baby. It's a puppet. It's a wooden marionette, Mm. which is no problem to the logic of the movie somehow. It's never noticed. It's never commented on. And I think it actually works. At first I found her a little bit creepy, but then the performance around her and involving her was so moving, if still a little bizarre, but her little glassy eyes were so soulful. (laughs) So weird to say. It is weird to say. And this, I'll share my first note that I wrote down while watching Mm. this film before I was able to settle into the fact that Annette was a puppet. I wrote, Annette is clearly a fake baby and they don't shy away from it like Pinocchio. But I guess it's hard to pinpoint the biggest surprise or unexpected moment in this film. The fact that Annette was a puppet I think has to take the cake for me yeah. as, a, as a viewer because I didn't actually know that. I went in not realising and I'm like, what the fuck is going <laughs> on here? And uh, it unsettled me for a while. And then I really, really, just like you, loved the choice and what it offered visually for the film and it worked. It really worked. It's again that thing of isolating the audience and making them uncomfortable or taking them out of the experience but then you adjust to it and you just go with it. It's so bizarre how it works but it does and it formed that pivot in the story where it went in an unexpected direction Mm. there's that word again and I think positioning Annette visually as a puppet just played into how the story kind of Mm. went where it went after that and uh, I just lapped it up speaking of weird moments there's one I want to talk about but I'm not quite sure how to do it without spoiling anything so I'm hoping that I won't spoil anything here but there is that moment at the end there's the climax of the movie where little Annette is walking into this big stadium. Okay. Mm. And I thought, Oh, she's two years old. How are they going to make this puppet walk into this huge stadium by herself? But no, 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 no. It gets weirder. She gets dropped in by drones. (laughs) (laughs) It was almost like a level up for what Lady Gaga (laughs) did at the Super Bowl (laughs) halftime show a couple of years ago. (laughs) But it's just like when you think this movie can't get any weirder, Hang on, hold my beer. Here it goes. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. And I guess that plays into the theme of exploitation, right? It's mm. very unsettling that that happened. But where you think you've hit the ceiling, yeah. uh, this film does something else that, you know, blows it off. Exactly. Oh. 
there's one more character I think I'd like to just call out really quickly, and it's mm. the 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 character that Simon Helberg plays. I can't believe we haven't spoken about him. Yes, we have to talk about Simon. He's kind of like, you know, third billing, but has a really important role mm. in this film. I'm sure you agree. And we kind of are first introduced to him as Anne's accompanist, yearning to be a conductor mm. and not being sidelined any longer. And I really enjoyed his kind of character arc. And I have to say, other than the final scene in this film, one of his other songs was one of the best experiences that I mm. took out is when he is conducting. And the song follows so much of his growth and development as a character and how they shot it again Mm. in a single shot, really technically challenging. His dedication, oh my gosh, and passion behind it was just breathtaking. Yeah, fantastic. Completely agree there. I think he was wonderful as a character to watch and as an actor to watch and a trio of fantastic actors in this film or, you know, quartet if you include Devin McDowell, the beautiful little girl. I think you absolutely have to include her as Mm. well as part of it. So shall we wrap up Annette, Tim? Yes, let's give it our best shot to wrap up this one. How are we going to encapsulate this film? (laughs) Oh, gosh. All right, I'll give it it a go. I'll go Mm. first. All right. So Annette is a bold, powerful musical odyssey. My advice is you have to settle into it, surrender to it almost. It takes time to grab you, but when it does, you end up quite hypnotised by it and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it and have really enjoyed diving into this with you today. Director Leos Carax puts it best when he says musicals give cinema another dimension and how true that is of Annette. That's what I love about cinema, to be challenged and taken to wacky places and try to find your place in it all. Is this film for everyone? Hell no. Am I still processing it? You bet I am. But I think there is an experience for you here if you're willing to give something different a go. So I'm going to rate Annette for Popcorn Kernels. Okay. Well, Annette is one of those movies in which you'll either claim to understand all the symbolism at play or all of it will go over your head. It's a bold artwork in the sense that the meaning is in the eye of the beholder and it takes really big creative swings in a landscape that rewards formulaic sequel flicks. This is something very different and it will challenge the viewer, but it's like a creative in-joke and it will simultaneously immerse you while also keeping you at arm's length. I'm going to give Annette three and a half popcorn kernels out of five. Beautifully wrapped up, Lee. Well, you can catch Annette in cinemas now pending lockdown restrictions. Okay, Lee, so before we jump into news, we have another giveaway to announce. With thanks to Maslow Entertainment, we have five double in-season passes to see Ride the Eagle in Queensland, Western Australia, South Australia, Tasmania and the Northern Territory cinemas from September 9 and ACT. Victoria and regional New South Wales cinemas from September 23. Lockdowns permitting, you can tell the landscape of how cinemas are being released in Australia Mm. right now is quite complicated. Hopefully we're getting to the end of this period though, hopefully soon in the next couple of weeks. Ride the Eagle is a heartfelt comedy starring Jake Johnson and Susan Sarandon about Leif, whose estranged mother Honey leaves him a conditional inheritance before he can take ownership of her picturesque Yosemite Cameron. To be in with a chance of winning a double pass, all you have to do is make sure you're following the Popcorn Podcast Facebook or Instagram page and tag a movie buddy in the comments of the giveaway post. For full terms and conditions, check popcornpodcast.com. Now, Tim, the most highly anticipated trailer since Avengers Endgame is finally here. 
with Spider-Man No Way Home dropping an official teaser after the unfinished cut was leaked on TikTok this week. Lee, check my pulse. <laughs> this was so exciting. It was. The less than three-minute look at the third movie in Tom Holland's Spider-Man story broke the record of most global views in 24 hours with 355.5 million. The previous record holder being Avengers Endgame with a measly 289 million. So it absolutely knocked it out of the park. This is easily the most anticipated movie of the year. Hell yeah. Bring it on. What did you think of the trailer? There's so much going on, isn't there? Obviously, Peter Parker's identity has been revealed by Mysterio at the end of the last film. And now he's dealing with the fallout of that and wanting to, I guess, cast a spell with the help of Doctor Strange that's going to set off the multiverse. Look, it's hard to pinpoint the things that I'm most excited about in this movie because there's some things that were confirmed, some things that are still a mystery that we're yet to see or hear official word on. We obviously got Dr. Ock Mm. back in the series. There was a tease with a cackle and a pumpkin bomb that the Green Goblin is in the film. Mm. But I really liked the relationship that we got little flavours of between Peter Mm. and Dr. Strange. I just... Thought it, it's just going to be so fun. People have been talking about Doctor Strange being a little bit off in the trailer. Like maybe it's a multiverse Doctor Strange and it's an evil Doctor Strange. That I have not read. That is very interesting. And also this one, when Doctor Ock says, hello, Peter, in that just mm. stunning moment in the trailer, you don't know whether he's talking to Tom Holland's Peter or he's talking to yes. Toby Maguire's Peter, the one that he recognises. Yes, so. because there's been a lot of talk about uh, Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield being in this film. Oh, my God, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, we have so much other news to get to. Otherwise, we'll Gotta just move on. go in a holding pattern talking about Spider-Man. Okay, what's next, Lee? So, speaking of trailers, we also got a first look at Kristen Stewart as Lady Diana Spencer in Spencer and a new Red Band trailer for The Kingsman, two very different British set films. Now, we have eagerly been anticipating Kristen Stewart as Diana Spencer. What did you think? I loved this trailer. Mm. It's from the filmmaker that brought us Jackie. Yep. And I just love visually what that looked like and it's very, very similar in how, how it looks. But what about her accent? What did you think? I thought it was really good. Yeah. I'm still concerned about the physicality of it. Mm-hmm. I could see in some of the running and stuff, I thought, oh, that's very Kristen Stewart. I, that, she really has to lose herself in this role for it to be pulled off. It's a, it's a big one. It's a big swing. You can check out all these trailers on our YouTube channel. Now, CinemaCon was held in Las Vegas this week, and there was a huge number of announcements and footage drops, including a new look at Ghostbusters Afterlife, nine minutes of No Time to Die, the new James mm. Bond film, and the official title and first trailer for Matrix 4 – which is titled The Matrix Resurrections, plus a look at Blumhouse's next horror hit, The Black Phone, starring Ethan Hawke as a child abductor. Yeah, the synopsis for The Black Phone is really dark. It follows an abducted boy locked in a basement that's stained with the blood of half a dozen other murdered children. In the cellar with him is an antique telephone, long since disconnected, but which rings at night with calls from the dead. Ah, Jesus Christ. Speaking of No Time to Die and the nine minutes that was dropped, they've really had to work hard with the marketing for this film, haven't they? Because it's been delayed so much. And we spoke about last week that, again, in Australia, it's been delayed to November 
11, mm. they just have to work so hard to keep people's excitement levels up about this film. It's more than 18 months since it was meant to come out mm. and they are spending a small fortune on marketing. Yep. Uh, this film has to be released. Otherwise, they're, they're just hemorrhaging cash. Mm. Also revealed at CinemaCon were details about Tom Cruise's most dangerous stunt ever for the new Mission Impossible films. Cruise prepped for Mission Impossible 7 by performing 13,000 motorbike jumps and 500 skydives over a year. I think we've seen footage of this stunt earlier on in the year, didn't we, where the motorbike goes over a cliff edge and then he jumps off and a parachute extends. Gosh, I mean, look, there's no denying his dedication to his role, but can you imagine doing 13,000 motorbike jumps in order to prepare for just like a one take? Like, I think Tom Cruise's career at this point is just an excuse for him to <laughs> to do all these great stunts and have an adventurous lifestyle. Disney's The Lion King prequel has found its lead actors, Aaron Pierre, mid-sized sedan <laughs> in... Oh, sorry. <laughs> this name cracks me up every time we read it. Aaron Pierre played mid-sized sedan in the movie Old. Oh, my God. Okay, I just need to take a breath after that. I wasn't expecting you to have written that in there. So, yeah, he's been cast as a young Mufasa and Kelvin Harrison Jr., who plays B.B. King in the upcoming Elvis biopic, will play a young Scar. Oscar winner Barry Jenkins will direct the follow-up to the 2019 wildly successful live-action remake of The Lion King. Little is known about the plot at the moment, but it is believed to be an origin story for Mufasa and other key characters. Would you consider the live-action Lion King wildly successful? It did make a lot of money, but it was um, critically sort of panned, wasn't it? Absolutely critically panned, but it made a butt-ton of cash. Mm. Netflix film The Power of the Dog has announced a release date of November 12 in Australian theatres before landing on Netflix in probably early December. This is the first feature film since 2009 for Oscar-winning Kiwi writer and director Jane Campion and is set in 1925 Montana starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst. It's being hailed as a festival favourite and will debut at the Venice Film Festival in September. Can't wait to see more of that. Some Universal and Warner Brother titles have had their release dates pushed a little bit due to the ongoing uncertainty in various markets around the world. The big one is that June has moved from late October to early December, which it did originally slate for December at some point, didn't it? And then it came forward and now it's been pushed back again. Mm. And The Many Saints of Newark is slightly delayed until November as well. Another day, another schedule change to release Mm. dates. Anyway, we move on. Anya Taylor-Joy has been confirmed to star in Robert Eggers' Nosferatu, which is a remake of the 1922 vampire-focused silent film. This has been in the works for some years, but it seems to be going ahead very soon, and there is speculation that Robert Patterson is also in talks to star. Now, both of these actors have worked with Eggers previously on The Witch and The Lighthouse, respectively, and of course... Pattinson has already played a vampire in the hugely successful Twilight Saga. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to see him step back into a vampire role if he takes on this this part. Do you think there's some inner turmoil going on there where he wants to separate himself from vampire roles but also like this is going to be very vastly different to Twilight? So different. In fact, I'm sure that his take on this vampire he will not 
glisten in the sun. <laughs> uh, it might be a case of righting some wrongs, but this is such an exciting role for him to tackle. I hope it's true. That's it for news this week, Tim. We've covered off so much. So much indeed, Lee. And we also reviewed and discussed Annette, which is in cinemas now pending lockdown restrictions. So if you want something a little different, go check that out. We'd love to hear what you thought. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time. We have a website, popcornpodcast.com. Make sure you check it out. We've got all our episodes up there for you to listen to. If you'd like to get to know us a little better, there's an About Us section and we run ticket giveaways. So keep an eye on the website for more information. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.